Our story is going to start the same way so many other good stories do, in a bar. Hi there, I'm Marilyn, and welcome to the Viva America podcast. After traveling with my family to all 50 states, I am fascinated by the stories this country has to tell, the good ones and the bad ones. And people are always asking us about our adventures and the places we have visited. The Viva America podcast won't just share the morbid and terrifying and haunting stories of this nation, but the inspirational, wholesome, and inspiring stories as well. Balance is good. Join my son Cameron and I as we reflect on the places that we have visited and share stories that fascinate us, or horrify us, or inspire us, or fill us with despair, or make us want to head out on another adventure. After all, in the infamous words of Forrest Gump, Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. So what's up, Mom? How are you doing today? How's that? How's everything back home? Everything's good. The freaking weather is so nice. I, I, you know, we live in Florida, which obviously you know that, but other people might not know that. <laughs> and so we get you know, not that pleasant weather most of the year, but the last week and a half or so has literally just been so nice. And so we have the doors and windows open and I try to work outside on the porch and just go for more walks and stuff like that. So Florida is just really showing up beautifully right now. And I'm trying to enjoy every minute of it. And I mean, even though, even though I'm four hours away from you, it's been awesome here i was doing all my research yesterday with my windows open and my desk and everything super Ugh, super nice it's the um, best it's i, I the know best. what the snowbirds are talking about now <laughs> i mean not that i have it i guess but yeah it, it, i mean i, that I understand is, that is my life goal to be a snowbird so i i cannot fault them at all yeah. so what's going on with you um not too much uh just working on getting this story done and getting things done for school around the house you know, exams coming up, se- senior year, one semester left after this. So, I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. Oh, trust so. me, I don't either. It's okay. So yeah, <laughs> let's just um, move along to your yeah. story. Then. So so let's do the opposite of what the snowbirds do, and let's okay. go up to Alaska. <laughs> this um, most people when they think of Alaska go to Anchorage because that's pretty much the only big city in Alaska. But today we're going to be going to Seward, Alaska which is the population currently is 2,773, which is actually way less than I thought when we were there <laughs> mm-hmm. a few months ago. I know that a big portion of their population like comes and goes from tourism and snowbirds, probably that sort of thing. We're in Alaska here. So there's it's pretty hard to live there year round a lot of the time. Yeah, I can't imagine trying to live there year-round. Hence the goal of being a snowbird, not yeah. living somewhere cold. <laughs> yeah, and compa- compared to the rest of Alaska, Seward's actually relatively like temperate. So so it says online that they had a 40-degree 40 40 average temperature, which is above freezing. And it said that most of the time it didn't get below zero degrees Fahrenheit, but there was a very clear most of the time than it does sometimes, <laughs> obviously. Um, it's part of the, the Kenai Mountain Range, and which, if that sounds familiar, it's because of the Kenai Fjords National Park, which uh, we were able to go to. Yeah, that was actually a really interesting, way more interesting than I thought it would be. Yeah, I, I was saying, <laughs> yeah, what stuck out to you the most about that place? What stuck out to me the most was 
the way that they marked where the glacier had been. And so when you get to the park and like to the parking lot and all that kind of stuff and you walk in, almost immediately you see a sign of a year and I I didn't prepare. I don't know what year it was, but you know, like a year. If I'm right, I'm pretty sure it was like early 1900s. Yeah. Like it wasn't thousands of years ago. It was in this century and you see this marker and that is telling you where the glacier used to be. And, you know, you hear about glaciers receding till you're standing there and you can actually see like, oh, the glacier used to be yeah. here and now it's here. It yeah. just kind of hits you in a different way. It definitely left me with a with a weird feeling, like going on that hike up to the top because it I mean, it was hundreds of yards, if not a mile from where the first sign was to where the glacier was now. Yeah. And it's it's one of those things where, you know, we kind of get to live in ignorance of stuff like that. Being yeah. Not from where there's glaciers all the time, but it's, I mean, it's a pretty legitimate just marker of, of everything. It really was. It was very, like, humbling to just yeah, say, like, absolutely. oh, this, this is actually changing. And what that means, I don't know exactly, but you yeah. can't deny the change that's happening. So, yeah, that was what stuck out to me the most. Yeah. So the fjords, um, what we were just talking about, uh, basically most of the park is part of the Harding Ice Field. Uh, it's a glacier on top of most of the mountain ranges in the area. There's no major lodging in the house. There's a few campsites. Um, and you can only, there's only one road in and out of the park, which we took, we took a bus there. You're able to drive, but this one road only goes to, it's called Exit Glacier. And that was where we were able to go, where we were just talking about these signs. And this park has um pretty much turned into a symbol of climate change. As we go now, it's one of the only parks that doesn't make people pay an entry fee when they come in oh wow i didn't know that all right so let's get back to seward which is just across it's on a same peninsula as the kenai fjords um it borders resurrection bay and seward is actually built on the base of a mountain so this mountain is what we're going to be talking about today um the mountain itself when the city was first founded in 1903 didn't have a name kind of unremarkable it's not like the biggest one in the area it's not the most dramatic or anything like that it's just what makes it special is the fact that they decided to build their city essentially on the base of this mountain and the legend that comes from this mountain Mm, okay so that's where we'll get started with our story so six years only six years after seward was founded in 1909 it was the fourth of july and in seward i'm not entirely sure if it's alaska as a whole but they are very proud of their patriotic past. So in this this race, the Mount Marathon race, which is going to be the subject of what I'm talking about today, happens every 4th of July. And this adds on to their celebrations. And they actually have a lot of traditions. There's a lot of photos in the book that I read, which is called Mount Marathon, Alaska's Greatest Foot Race by Millie Speasley. Sorry, Millie. Um, and... There was a lot of photos that they had a lot of the youth in the town would dress up in like their military outfits and that type of stuff because it was 1909. That was where we're building up to uh, a lot of the nationalist movements that are going on in the U.S. at the time wow. um, and ultimately getting ready to go to war. And which is something that now, I mean, we weren't quite getting ready to do it yet, but World War One was coming up kind of soon and this whole kind of era was one that was high tension and Seward actually is a 
has a lot of history with military um, force, which I didn't know before we had gone there. Yeah, you don't think of Alaska as yeah. a whole actually as really being involved at all with with the military. Yeah, which I- might be kind of naive for us, but like you just don't think of it. So you would think that it wouldn't be this massive military operation, but when I like sat down and thought about it, and especially one of the hikes that I went on when we were there, I, you weren't able to go on with us, but it was we walked up to like a military bunker up at the top of these mountains, and they're from the old World War times when Alaska was essentially the middle point between yeah. Russia and the U.S., which that makes a lot more sense. I hadn't thought about that. There's been times where U.S. battleships have docked in Seward, and I think there's still one that docks there to this day. So when you go back to native history of the area, there's not that much recorded accounts, um, mostly because there was a Russian fort in the area before Seward was even founded in 1903. And um, most of these natives were kicked out of their land by the Russians and repelled by the fort that they had made. But a lot of them come back later in the story and are in Seward to this day is still a very populated um, Native American city. So our story is going to start the same way so many other good stories do, in a bar. <laughs> so the legend has it, the townsfolk were in a bar, and they had been gambling before getting ready for the 4th of July, but they were getting tired of their usual events, which were pole climbing and tug of war to bet on. <laughs> they got tired of pole climbing? What? Yeah, I mean, gambling is a very big part of a lot of these stories, and especially the founding of Mount Marathon, which is, I mean, if you look back at history, probably a pretty common thing the people in the town they just wanted to find some new events to celebrate and to bring some patriotism to their town and an excitement to the fourth of july so what's quoted on in the book as a short bald man slapped a 100 hundred dollar bill on the table and said i've got 100 dollars. nobody can rush up that hill in under an hour and he pointed to the top of the mountain which at the time was not named but at the, then this is where it got his namesake mount marathon Okay, okay. Yeah, oh, and also, $100 then in 1909 is over $3,000 today. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Oh, that wow. I mean, that's a signif- That's enough to get most people off their bar stool and at least go try. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and if it's an hour, you're getting $3,000 for an hour's work at that point. That's- Heck yeah. <laughs> and that's what a man named Al Taylor thought. Um, so he took the bet. He was a dog musher from town. He was known for his speed and stamina. He had been all over Alaska as I don't know what the life of a dog musher is like, but I imagine it's pretty uh taxing and pretty dangerous. rugged, I would think. Yeah. yeah, he's probably a pretty fit guy. Yeah. And so what does any drunk confident man do? He doubled down on his bet. He said, if I can't get up and down under the hill in under an hour, drinks are on me. And <laughs> nice. so the next they they didn't specify in the book. I found it hard to find out if they if he went that night or the next day. Okay. I I kind of think he went the next day. Okay. <laughs> rather okay. than at night. Yeah. So he showed up to the race, you know, talking to all of the bar spectators and everything. He showed up in his Sunday best, a white shirt, trousers, and leather boots. And he ran up the hill and disappeared into the woods. So what, what do you think? Do you think he got it? In one hour, I think he did not make it. I don't think he made it. And you're right. He, ah! missed, he missed the target time by merely minutes. And then, as a man of his word, he went directly to the bar and bought everyone drinks. Oh, wow. So, he was close. I was thinking it was yeah. going to take him, like, three or four hours. Yeah. So, so here's here's the thing. So, Mount Marathon, right? It's called Mount Marathon. It's not a marathon. It's only three miles 
up to the point. There's a turnaround point, which actually uh-huh. isn't the top of the mountain. I think they made this turnaround point so that it would be a 5K. Um, oh, okay. And yeah, there's, three there's miles a, is about a 5K. Yeah, it's yeah. a little over three miles. It's a lot of websites refer to Mount Marathon as the toughest 5K on earth, things like okay. that. Yeah. So the course itself, like I just said, is a little over three miles. An actual marathon is 26.2 miles. Okay. So yeah. So it's not an actual marathon. (laughs) Yeah. So the course, yeah. And then the course is almost 300 feet of elevation and one and a half miles each way. Okay. So it is very, very vertical. Yeah. It's, I remember that hike that I referred to earlier that we did, they, the guy where we were staying told us that it was a one or two mile hike and we were like, oh, that'll be easy. And then it was a lot tougher than we thought because it was a really vertical most of the trail is the average angle if all right so let's do some visuals really quick you know 90 90 degrees is vertical okay Uh uh-huh the Uh average angle is 38 degrees which is over a third of that and then the highest angle is 60 degrees which is two-thirds your way to vertical so what you're trying to say is this is not a hike i would no not at all it's not a hike (laughs) it's not a hike in general it's it's a scramble up this mountain Okay, well, it's certainly not a scramble I would enjoy, but even yes, walking it, yes. I would not enjoy this. There, the route that people do to hike is not the same route that people do to run the marathon because it's so much harder to do the race than to do the actual hike. Okay. And even with that, every year, the Seward Fire Department responds to multiple injuries during the race and as well as just people hiking that, and I quote this from the book, didn't realize how dangerous the trail can be and get paralyzed by fright. Oh, interesting. And I would like to remind you, this is the trail that they run a 5K up. (laughs) Yeah. So the race had its official start in 1915, which is six years after this man, Al Taylor, had ran the race. It wasn't really official. It was just a bar bet. It was a bar bet, yeah. And the first race in 1915, we had three racers. It actually makes Mount Marathon the third oldest foot race in U.S. history Hmm. behind the Boston Marathon and California's Dipsy Race. Oh, wow. Which I have never heard of. Yeah, I was going to say, I've never heard of the Dipsy race. It's actually, it's from San Francisco. Interesting. Yeah. So when the race was officially started, there was only three rules. Start at the flag pole in front of the bank, circle the rock on the peak, and return to the starting point. Everything else was up to the runner. Like, so if they kind of zigzagged or didn't want to go exactly this way. Oh, yeah, they could, way, they could do whatever the hell they wanted. They, they just it was, have to get to the top, however they yep, wanted you would, to do it. You would commonly see runners cutting through backyards, hopping <laughs> fences, and turning over clotheslines on their way to try to get to the top. So people just, like, live there? They're just, like, yeah. running through their backyards? No, okay. the, one, one of the things that makes that – well, Se- Seward loves this race. Is sure. part of they, – they own it. They – um, it's part of the reason it's been so successful for so long. I mean, it's coming up on its 100th year. Wow. And the town, a lot of these people, the, the houses they were running through were probably either running the race or like spectating down at the bottom. Huh. Um, yeah. And there was actually the second ever winner of the race in 1916, a man named Alec Bolin. He was a, he was able to win the race because he used a board to bridge a creek at the bottom of the mountain. <laughs> And pass his competitors and outsmart them. <laughs> oh my so, gosh! I wonder if he brought this board with him or if he yeah, just found know. it. <laughs> it d- it didn't say or anything, but I I'm just especially at the beginning there was there was no path. It was literally just <laughs> make it up there and come back. And wow. if you could do it faster than the other competitors, then you won. Wow. <laughs> um. Yeah. So this 
starts with a half mile road run where you're just running on roads and then you cut up some rocky bluffs um cut through a forest scale rocky ridges and cliffs until you reach the summit and then on your way down it's not uncommon competitors what a lot of times they'll do is they'll look for snow and then slide down on the snow and they also are said to then this is a quote to free fall over waterfalls and ledges what? I'm not sure. It didn't say how big those waterfalls or ledges are, but that seems insane wow. to me. Wow! Oh and then that's gosh. followed down a dash down the street through the crowd to the to the finish line. Wow! This sounds like a crazy race. Like this sounds yeah. like insane. Well, I mean, we'll get to more of it later and everything. But if you entered this race, you had to be prepared to get banged up, and also. Like now, there's a lot of safety measures they've put in place. A lot of runner runners have to take a whole safety course, and they have huh. to have climbed Mount Marathon before the 5K. Oh, interesting. And we'll we'll talk more later about why those rules are in place now. <laughs> uh oh. So the founding of the official race, the first winner was a man named James Walters. There's not too much info about this. This was that first race where there was only three people, and then the second year was that man Alec Bolin that I mentioned before. Okay. Um. So then the race, you know, it, it started building a little bit. And then <laughs> we had the first real Mount Marathon drama, okay? okay. Uh, so between okay. two men named Ed Vogel and Eric Ekman, it was referred to by people in the city as a duel for control of Seward. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure if it was just like a status thing or if they were like literally going to be made mayor or something like that. Interesting. It, I, I mean, I, it didn't say anything specific. It was, I think it was more just, you're the most badass man in town. Is okay. What you it are is. the it's, man. Whoever yeah. wins this is the man. Yeah. And I, I wanted to include this because it is reported that one of these men, Eric Ekman kicked a mountain goat off the uphill. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Poor goat. What did that goat do? Like, why I don't is he picking him then, off? And then he went on to like win the race. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I like this Eric guy too much. Yeah, <laughs> so, if he's kicking mountain goats off yeah. the mountain, I'm not a fan. I hope that mountain goat was okay. <laughs> and these these two guys, they had this drama back and forth for a while. But the thing is, they were getting old. And <laughs> okay. this this opened a door for a local hero. Okay. You happen to remember the name of the guy that we were told the story about. Okay. So no, I do not remember (laughs) the name of the guy, but I feel like it was a memorable name. So, okay. What was it, Cameron? It's, uh, his name is Ephraim Kalmakoff. Okay. Um, Yeah. I was not going to pull that one out. Yeah. Okay. I, I, really sorry for any mispronunciations. I promise I'm trying my hardest, not, not being disrespectful or anything. He, Ephraim, he was an orphan. He's a 13-year-old boy from the Sugpate village of Chignik on the Alaskan Peninsula. Okay. He's, so he's a native boy from this area. It's and likely he's 13? 13. Okay. He's 13 when this story is going to start. Okay? Okay. So this story, we were told by a boat captain on our way to an island yurt lodge. Yeah. Yes. It, we were on our way to Orca Island cabins, which yeah. are yurts on these rocks. Yeah. I mean, it was absolutely incredible. But yes, you have to write a boat out and this captain I will say I wouldn't have even known Mount Marathon existed had this captain not said you know oh and that over there is Mount Marathon and and you know told a few quick stories about it well yeah I mean like I said before the mountain itself 
isn't like yeah. crazy. It, it's just a it's just a mountain that the city is built on. Yes. And I think that even just him talking to us shows that how much of a big part of their culture this race is every year. Yeah, I think and so too. So Ephraim, let's go back to him. He was 13. I also would like to add he is not old enough for the present day junior race. I think it's 15 to 18. Okay. And he was only 13. So like today he would like no, there's not a different not be, race. He, he would just not be, be allowed to race. Okay. He would not be allowed. And the junior race today doesn't even go the full distance, but <laughs> he did. Okay. And okay. He was training very hard. He was a orphan from the local Jesse Lee home, which okay. is something that we're going to talk about quite a bit in this story today. Ephraim is one of the more famous, let's say, alumni okay. of um, Jesse Lee, um, and we'll talk about the other one later. But he also had two brothers that he brought with him to here after both of his parents had died of tuberculosis. Ugh, sad. Yeah. So he was only 13. He was training really hard for this race. It was very clear that he was training very hard. Every when Seward's a small town. When you're running around town all the time, you're running up the mountain, pe- people are going to see. And, <laughs> people see you, yeah. And then the drama started to be talked up between this 13-year-old Ephraim and the two uh, older men that I was talking about before. The guys that are getting old now. Yes, the okay. one that kicks the mountain okay. goat. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, he's got bad karma coming his way, so I hope. <laughs> so so the, that year, when Ephraim was 13, it was 1927, and the race actually got rescheduled to be on a Sunday, which is, for most, wouldn't really be that big of a deal. But for Ephraim, Sundays were considered Sabbath or religious day of rest. He was highly conflicted because of this. It was asking people all over town, mostly as teachers at school, what he should do. Because he was facing this moral dilemma of whether to race in the race he had been training for all year or to follow his religious beliefs. He ended up sitting out that year after training so hard. Wow. I'm always impressed by people who are that like dedicated to anything. And he's he's only 13. Yeah, and he's 13. And so, you know, to be that dedicated to training and wanting to do the race and have some type of value that he believes in enough yeah. to not do it. I, I don't know. I I find I don't that yeah, I don't know what's in the water up there in Seward, but the, the one of the teachers told him to do what you think is right and he took that as he wasn't going to do it. Wow. Okay. It, kid, the kid knew. So wait, did the mountain compass. goat guy win again? Don't tell me the mountain goat guy. Yeah, the mountain guy won again. He ah. Won. Yes. Boo. Okay. Yeah. So this that guy this came back story, and won the Cameron. next year. Bad story. <laughs> hey, it'll get better. It'll get better. But then the next year, Ephraim was fourteen. Okay. First off, still not old enough to be in the junior race. Yep. Um, the course was changed to be longer this year, oh. and this year he trained even harder was ready to take on the chance. He was 5'5 five, five and a 14-year-old boy. Okay. Um, weighed, can't have weighed more than a little over 100 pounds. Uh-huh. And he was competing against grown men. And I think some of them were in their 60s, which yeah. is, I. it seems strange that there's not someone aged between there and there. But sure. what do I know? <laughs> um, he, so the, all the townspeople were, there was either, some of them were, were all in favor of Ephraim. They were, excited but most people probably didn't think he could beat these full-grown adults and when the race started he dominated the course from top to bottom he Yay. set a new course record of 52 minutes and 35 seconds and he did it all in his boy scout uniform this was a new record and this record would stand for 29 years after he oh set it. dang frame okay yeah 
There's that yeah. goat karma. That goat yes. probably like cleared the path for him. <laughs> and like I said, he did it all in his Boy Scout uniform. I don't know why. I think that's Aww, hilarious that's because cute. I'm. Just, I all of these grown men are just getting blown out by a Boy Scout. <laughs> by I can't a, imagine by that's not hilarious. Young boy in his yeah. little uniform. It's yeah, just. It's no, just a little precious. bit extra to rub it in. You know. Just something yeah. I like that. that. I like that. <laughs> And then a celebration was hosted at the Jesse Lee home to ring in the victory, and the children got treats, and they stayed up well past curfew. Oh, if you need, if you a need party. a reminder that these are thirteen-year-old children, fourteen-year-old <laughs> children, <laughs> they and, got treats and got to yes, stay up late. Ah. Yes, and he cited the one hundred dollar prize money as his primary motivation, and huh. he won again the next two years. Oh wow! So now, like at this point in the race, like the winner gets a hundred dollars. Like that's yeah. The, so the okay. the prizes were actually funny. They bounced around around the beginning. It was just around a hundred dollars. There was a few yeah. times it was like seventy five dollars in a suit <laughs> or something like that, and, and it was like kind of just. It was like I however mean, much money the town yeah, collected that year. That's yeah, it pretty. It, it's it's uh now I think there's probably more standardized. Sure. But at the time when when the race was first starting, it was kind of just like ah, yeah. I have this suit that you can have. And well, I'm thinking. I mean, them. this guy, this this kid, is an orphan, and you said a hundred dollars was worth like three thousand. Yeah, like that's a ton of money for a young kid yep. like that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, he won again the next two years, but then after he ran, he won again the next two years, but he competed in one race after that but mm-hmm. got second to one of his other close friends from the Jesse Lee home. Oh, okay. Um, but like I said, he was never able to beat his original time from that wow. first race, oh, wow. um, okay. which is probably because he caught a bad case of tuberculosis in 1931 oh. and never raced the mountain again. Oh. And he actually died from this tuberculosis six years later in 1937. Wow. He was only 24 at the time. It's pretty clear that at least tuberculosis has some lineage in his family okay. um, because, like I had said before, his, his parents, parents had both died of tuberculosis. Yeah. And, um, yeah, really tragic. To this day, though, he's still a local folklore legend Aww. and a hero that is celebrated throughout the town. Man, tuberculosis sucks. Yeah. Too many stories about tuberculosis just I know. ruining things. Ugh. Have you heard the – do you remember the tuberculosis mammoth cave story? Is it that they would put people with tuberculosis down there because, like, the air was better or yeah, something? Yeah, they, they thought it was good for them. Yeah. It was not. <laughs> I mean, you know, trapping a bunch of people in an enclosed place with an airborne disease. What now, wrong? with hindsight, like, we can say that that might not have been the best move. But, you know, <laughs> we live and learn. Well, yes. Tuberculosis <laughs> is a bitch is the moral yeah. of the story. Yeah. Um, and some say his death led to the race being canceled between 1932 and 1938. Oh. Um, but I more think this is probably because of the Great Depression. Oh, it's fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was going to give him credit. But yeah, it was probably a rough time. Especially because he only died the last two years it was canceled. He was alive for the first like five, although he was very sick. Oh, true. Okay. I see what you mean. Like he was alive and they weren't yeah. doing it. I'm sure it had some influence. Mm-hmm. But I also think the Great Depression probably had something. They to might do have it. had a lot going yeah. on at the, the time. Bo- the book said the strengthening local and national depression. So, mm. and wow. Aww. Yeah. So let's stay with Ephraim here for one second. His younger brother, Inikente, won the race in his brother's honor a few years later. Okay. And as I alluded to before, 
Ephraim was not the only local celebrity from the Jesse Lee home at the time. In 1927, Alaska actually started a competition among its citizens to make the new state flag because Alaska was a region, uh, a newly purchased territory from Russia, which is actually where the town of Seward gets its name from, the guy that orchestrated that purchase. So Benny Benson was a friend of Ephraim's from their village days as children, and they often raced together. Benson could never quite get the better of Ephraim on the race, but what Benson will go down in history for is designing the Alaskan flag. Oh, I remember this. I remember seeing that, like they, Seward is like this town that is very proud of their stars, I guess. And yeah, there were little signs that that flag was designed in Seward. They were very proud of that. I remember that. Cool. Little quick tangents as we're talking about stars from Seward. This last year, Seward was in the news because they had a swimmer from the Olympics. Lydia Jacoby won a silver and a gold medal, which she's also only 17. Yeah. And also, I don't know how you become a professional swimmer from Alaska. It still doesn't make sense to me. I think not only <laughs> not only from Alaska, which you just don't think of a state that would produce world class swimmers, which obviously you can. You have a pool. You can yeah. you can train. I mean, to do look that. at her. But it's also Seward. It's like a town of what'd you say, two thousand people. Hey, I don't know where their pool was because I thought we saw the whole town and I saw no pools. So I don't know. I, obviously, I know it's somewhere. probably inside. It probably <laughs> well, has to be inside. Oh, it's hundred percent an indoor pool. It has yeah. to be. But I don't know where this pool was. But the fact that a town of two thousand people in a state in the state of Alaska. Uh, yeah, uh, it's fascinating that that yeah. I mean, she obviously is an incredible swimmer, but, and they had, but the fact that she was able to train in a manner that prepared her for that is incredible. And they had the signs all over the town oh, yeah. um, and posters that were congratulating her. It was really cool to see. We were lucky to go there when all yes. that was up. I yeah, think. they were definitely. I think that her parade was only like a week yeah, before I think we, we were there. We just it. missed it. So, yeah, they are, they're very proud of their people. So. Yeah, and Benny Benson at the time was one of those heroes. He entered the American Legion competition for the territory because Alaska didn't come a state until much later. But even when it became a state, Benson's flag design is still used for the state flag. And I'm actually wearing a sweater with that state flag on it right now. Oh, look at you. I didn't didn't realize that. So he designed the flag for the territory. And when Alaska became a state, they just adopted that flag as the state flag as well. Yes. Cool. Okay. He won this flag contest uh, with a design of eight gold stars forming the Big Dipper and the North Star in a dark blue background. Like I said, this is still the Alaskan flag today, and all of it can be traced back to Benny Benson and the Jesse Lee Holman suit. Huh. What a cool orphanage. They're just producing little rock stars up there. Yeah. So let's keep rolling with the rock stars because another Jesse Lee student began to dominate the race. A man named Ralph Hatch, he won for five straight years um, yeah. and then won again three years after. And I really wanted to include this this story because he still lives in Seward to this day oh, and is wow. a retired World War II vet and doesn't consider himself special or a hero at all, um, even though the local townsfolk. Um, oh, maybe we saw him. him. What That's if he what was I'm, just we wandering around? Yeah, we easily could have. It's... He seems like the impression I got is just some small town, kind old man that yeah. had his glory days on Mount Marathon. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So we're getting into the more developed ages of the race, right? Okay. It's no longer just the three dudes running up the mountain. <laughs> um, 
we're actually so let's fast forward to 1963 okay um the first woman were in the race okay three young women also from the jesse lee home entered the race they were not widely approved of their names were jane trigg and waymark and madeline hicklin they essentially just signed up for the race and since there was no explicit rule that said no woman they Ah. were allowed to compete their their motivation was apparently one of them had a crush on the guy who was Aww. winning the race, so she convinced her two friends to do it. That's adorable. She wanted to get noticed. Like. Yeah, and and they she ended up leaving this legacy as the first woman <laughs> to awesome. run in one of these races, and this was actually done ten years before the Boston Marathon or the Dipsy race that I wow. mentioned before. So Stewart was quite progressive for the yeah. Time. You mean that they had a woman in their race yes. 10 years before? Yes. Okay. Yep. That's and awesome. And these, these women just kind of, they trained they trained very hard throughout the year. They picked up midnight shifts so that they could <laughs> run in the morning, things like that. Yeah. They, they wow. worked really hard and then they, they just kind of showed up and forced their <laughs> forced their way in and it worked. Yeah. It, I could see it. I could see people being like, oh, wait, excuse me, ma'am. Oh, wait. Yeah. I guess we never. Okay. Uh, have fun, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they 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 finished the race. All three of them finished. Yeah, they and them. women have been allowed to compete ever since. Oh, that's actually like cool that they didn't after that be like, oh, by the way, yeah, women can't nope, do not this. at all. No, no signs of that that I saw at least. Cool. Anything. Okay. All right. Alaska. So here, Seward's been around for fifty, sixty years, but soon after this event in nineteen sixty three, Seward was hit with a nine point two magnitude earthquake. Oh. And an ensuing tsunami. Oh. I don't know much about earthquakes. Yeah. And 9.2 seems kind of crazy. Especially, I wasn't uh, like super aware that Alaska got a bunch of earthquakes. I guess it makes sense because of all the mountains. Yeah. But I hadn't heard about that. Probably because there's not that many people there most of the time. Fair. Yeah. I think uh, you're right. Like basically wherever there's mountains, there's earthquakes. Well, and this was this was also like in the 60s. This isn't any time sure. recently. And I, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure this is the last time that this area has been rocked by an earthquake that hard. Okay. And, but I think they happened relatively off, like earthquakes in the area, because there was firsthand reports from people in the city that as soon as there was the earthquake, they all hopped in their cars and left. And I oh. wasn't sure why, but it was because of the tsunami that was coming. Okay. Yep. Because so the they tsunamis. Knew. So like yeah. they knew, like we had an earthquake. Yeah. Get they they were prepared, although they were prepared. The earthquake and tsunami killed 12 people in the city. Mm. It took out the bridge that connected Seward oh. to trade lines. It kind of sent the whole city into a spiral. It wow. also sadly took down the Jesse Lee home. Oh, no. So the legacy of the Jesse Lee home kind of ends there. Oh, Even my gosh. Though, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting yeah. that like it was still there. No, oh, how it's, sad. There's a lot of references to it in history books and everything but as long as as far as i could see there's not an gone. orphanage in seward now wow oh that's sad yeah they seem to have been doing a good job i mean yeah at least producing athletes that like to run up mountains and every uh, everything that i heard about the jesse lee home said that it was a really good environment for all these kids most of these kids went there like after their parents died in like native lands and yeah. they often didn't even speak the same language, that sort of thing. Wow. So it was like a positive place in their yeah, community. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. like I said before, after Ephraim won the race, they they threw a <laughs> like a middle school pizza party yeah, and they, they stayed did. up until midnight and everything. I love it. Yeah, it's adorable. But they also, so back to this earthquake, they still did the race that year. 
Oh, okay. And a man named Captain William Spencer. Don't know why he deserves the captain, but he's probably probably right. He set a new course record. Yeah, I wonder if it was boat captain or like military. Yeah, captain. I mean, because it's who a knows? port. Town, I, I I actually like, yeah. I, I kind of think it's military. If I had oh, okay. to guess, um, okay. Because there was then a lot of references. <laughs> yeah, um, like even Ephraim's younger brother Inikenta, yeah. he was a private in the army when he ran. Oh, okay. Because I think huh. there's been, like I said, there's a long military history. I'm pretty sure a lot of the people that participated in the race were local military. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And so the next era of the race was was a series of growth and new records. Nothing too of note happened. I think that earthquake kind of forced some stability onto the race for a while. Okay. A new record was set by a man named Bill Spencer of 43 minutes and 21 seconds. Oh my gosh. That stood until 2016. Oh. And the race gained popularity and it now has over 1,000 runners and they have to keep a cap of non-returning runners and a lottery to allow new runners in. Let's get into the most recent story from Mount Marathon. Okay. So let's fast forward. We're fast forwarding a lot until 2012. Okay. All had been mostly smooth since the earthquake. I don't know if you want to say it was culminating or whatever. And for this whole part, I I first want to say I got all my information from the Anchorage Daily News and the Alaska Public Media. Okay. Before I get into this story. So let's set the scene here, okay? Okay. It's a gloomy Alaska day, probably very similar to the day that we were there, overcast. Yeah, I was going to say, so like every other day in Alaska, actually. Okay, good to know. So the race started at 3 p.m. The weather was considered bad, but not like horrible where they needed to cancel the race or anything like that. So probably again, like how it was when we were there. It was described as a light (laughs) rain with slick mud because I don't know if I had said it before, but Mount Marathon is so like the mountain, there's a a line of forest at the bottom, but Mm -hmm. most of the top of the mountain is all rocks. There's... There's not much. It's not like it's a like I not it's not a climb. It's rocks. Okay. You're you're climbing up rocks and you're running down these rocks on the way down. And when it was raining, this would turn into mud a lot of the time. Okay. But also, danger was kind of the spirit of this race, and everyone was in high spirits. Um, everything had started good. Almost everyone finished the race in under three hours. Everyone besides ten people finished the race in under two hours. Okay. But let's go up to the top of the race at that three hour mark. Okay volunteers at the summit began to come down thinking the racers were done because it had been three hours everyone had finished at that point but they encountered a man 200 feet from the turnaround point still racing three hours into the race okay at this point everyone else is done and this man is not halfway okay so they called out to him there's no one timing at the top and the race is over and they asked him to come down with them okay but they are only 200 feet from the turnaround point yeah and so he's so, probably like, no, I want to just. Yeah, he do doesn't want to turn around 200 feet from the turnaround point. Sure. He wants to make it to the turnaround point. Yeah. And the man replied that he wanted to keep going and to complete the entire course. Okay. And he was never seen again. Really? No. Like, li- like they still just have no idea what happened to him? Nope. This man's name was Michael Lemaire. Uh huh. He was um, a community readiness consultant from Anchorage. He was an ultra sport competitor. Huh. He had been, he had gone on cross country ski trips, races, a bunch of other outdoor events. He was getting older, but he also had a lot of experience. Yeah. And he had told his family before he left that he was probably going to be longer. 
than oh. most of the other racers because he knew he wasn't in the best shape and was just okay. kind of doing the race to do the race. So That's interesting, though, because I was going to say, like, the first part of his story that is interesting is that at three hours, he hadn't even made it to the top Yeah, when he was this man with, like, all that athletic experience. But, but then it sounds like he's saying maybe that was more in the past and he's not yeah. as in good shape as he used to be. But still, like, to not have even made it to the top by yeah. the time everyone else had finished is is odd like makes you wonder if injured himself or yeah something if something like happened that. between the bottom yeah. and the top on his way up yeah so his family like i just said he had told them that he was probably going to be longer so when everyone at the race finished around the three hour mark they yeah. weren't like they didn't panic they didn't panic yeah yet but okay. they reported him overdue by 9 p.m so it was six hours okay and that is when extensive search and rescue efforts started Okay. But it's also 9 p.m. now. And well, it is summer, so it doesn't, it gets Yeah, I, I think it was there. still light out. Yeah. But, which is part of why this is so insane. Yeah. Because um, search and rescue from Anchorage logged 900 hours of searching. Wow. And the Seward Fire Department logged 1,100 hours of searching, and they never found a trace of him. That's because, not like one you trace. said, that's not a huge mountain. No. Like, I, I can totally see how people get lost in the forests and in woods and things like that because it's just so vast. But this is a mountain that, with manpower like that, you should be able to actually yep. cover no trace. every inch of it. Not a single trace. They found, it was said they found a child's backpack and a few other like things like that but nothing yeah. that belonged to him not a footprint not a shoe not some clothes nothing like that okay i have a grade. question mm -hmm. i know back in the olden days this course ran through homes and yards and things like that did you get any idea of it? like if it still did like did he maybe go into someone's house and get murdered like what i like what it i don't um, know I didn't, I, I think the course, I don't think it goes through yards anymore. Sure. Um, there was nothing that said. That alluded to that. Yeah, that it, yeah. Was, that it was anything like that. The only real thought process was that he went missing somewhere up there. Yeah. And they, they continued this search for four days. They had four helicopters with thermal cameras, rescue dogs, uh -huh. which were creatively named Dog Bark 9, and oh. the Nordic Ski Patrol also came out and helped yeah. search and they found no evidence of him anywhere the dogs couldn't find a scent they couldn't do anything and the only thing they had of him from that day was a photo of him in the race at the very start smiling wow. and normal and wow. if you look if you look up this picture it's a it's just it's just a guy in a race sure and it's the last picture of him that anyone's ever seen that's very strange i mean and you have the account of the the race yeah people at the top they talk to him yeah that is very unexplainable yeah <laughs> it, do, it's they, they really i mean do they have any guesses like are there any no they so he was declared presumptively dead in august of that year just yeah. two months later by his wife wow which has led to some eyebrows being raised because okay. that is pretty quick and there there isn't any like formal suspicions or anything sure. but it's people just have no clue what the hell to think because yeah. he's just gone and on this race there was that year like somewhat set the new record and oh. it was all of this was overshadowed because this man just disappeared off the race the race wow. course that is very odd like i mean obviously i haven't been on the course but it seems 
very hard to disappear he, from. he had actually never been on the course which is okay. part of why if you remember i said before now people have to have gone on the course before okay so a potential that he got that he did get lost and that who yeah. knows what happened to him at that point yeah okay. they there was also his wife raised questions about his eyesight saying that he had had visual problems except there was like really contradicting evidence for this. Like some okay. said that some doctors said he did and some said he didn't and like weird things like that. But just like bad eyesight or like... Yeah, like and okay. it was foggy. Huh. But like... Very odd. I mean, he's That's done weird. a lot of things like this before. You yeah, think, it doesn't seem like... You would like think eyesight gonna... wouldn't be the biggest... Wouldn't be a death like, restricting. Yeah. 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 Okay. And, um, there was those questions of the eyesight, and there was also the questions to why he was declared dead so fast. You know, I don't know that I think two months is that fast. I get two months grieving is not that long. Now that I like, I mean, I mean it's, it's not, like... but it's also, I, I don't know. I would probably try to hold out hope that at least they find something, yeah. like, a, like any yeah. sort of trace. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's tough because you're also just living in this limbo for two months, and maybe she like needed to accept that yeah. he was yeah, gone. Yeah, definitely. You know? he, had, he had a and, family, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Wow. And everything. That's wild. Okay. Yeah. So that was 2012? 2012. And on okay. this same year, a different man fell on the race and got brain trauma this same year on the course, Ooh. and he has never fully recovered. Wow. So this this year... Um, this was a bad year. This was a bad <laughs> year. They The course added numerous safety changes. They added a time limit at halfway up the mountain where if mm. you weren't at that time limit um, by an hour or at that distance by an hour, you were required to turn around. Okay. Um, they put a lantern on the last racer. And the area that the man fell and got the brain trauma yeah. was this cliff scramble. You're not allowed to go on that area anymore. Ah, uh, okay. So as much as that part had to do with the other man who fell, people still have no clue what happened to this like, Michael Lemaire guy. Wow. That's crazy. And. There has not been any advancement in the case. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yep. So then we go to modern day. Um, the race took last year off because of the pandemic. Mm. But in 2021, participants returned to Mount Marathon after the year off. And it was won by Hannah LaFleur posting a time of 51 minutes, 24 seconds. And David Norris for the men with 43 minutes, 27 seconds. Wow. And the race will continue as part of Seward's signature 4th of July celebration. And we'll go into its 94th year next July. Wow. Okay. So is this a race you would think you would ever do, Cameron? I mean, <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, I think it's really cool. It's, it's got to be one of the most unique races that there is out there. I mean, especially back way back when all this, all the lore and stuff that comes from the story where there's people just trouncing through backyards and running yes. up the city as part of a bar bet. Yeah. Um, it's pretty cool. Yeah, but there's also now I kind of want to go for the true crime part of right, like what the hell right. happened to this like, guy? What could have happened? Like just be there and be like, oh, I have a different perspective on this now. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, at least from what I've seen, and obviously I'm not, I don't live in Seward or anything like that. The mountain looks pretty flat, right. except for when you get right. down to these tree lines and everything, which is where yeah. they most of the searches were done because you could kind of see everywhere else. Right, you didn't need and, to search the other yeah. part. You saw it, yeah, and. Just the fact that there was not ever a single trace found is crazy. It makes me wonder, like, you would think there'd be a trace if something happened with animals. You think there'd be a trace if something happened with animals? Definitely if he had an injury, because, like, even yeah. if it was blood, it makes, like, it's like, did so you start to be like, oh, well, what could it have been? It's like, did he purposely 
leave? Like, was this, you know, one of those weird, like, uh, I'm going to escape my life kind of things? Yeah. But it doesn't sound I mean, like he had a reason. He wasn't, like, the police there wasn't, were after There wasn't him much indication of that. or uh, There was no mention of that. It yeah, usually, more... like, felons will do that. Not, yeah, like, sure. Just, like, no, this guy, guy. this guy was a consultant. He was a family man from Anchorage. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, it's not the kind of mountain that has, like, crevices that people can just disappear into you know like caves or ice ice shafts and things like that that is very strange yep and And it's crazy that i mean because 2012 was nine years ago at this point not long ago they still don't know modern tech everything you could possibly want to search and um i mean you obviously there's the factor of alaska being this massive expansive wilderness and everything like that but this area yeah. Where he it is not, it's yeah. not the middle of Alaska. It's on a peninsula. And yeah. it's, I mean, you have on the other side of Seward on the same peninsula, you have the Kenai Fjords. Yeah. So you would think that if it was in the national park, someone would see him there too. Absolutely. Well, I mean, he had to have somehow gotten off of Mount Marathon. Like, I, I don't know how, like whether he yeah. was carried by a bear, like, I don't know, because the mountain itself seems very searchable. And so... I would think if he was carried by a bear, there'd be... You would see that. You would think know. so. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was a Bigfoot. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Are there any Bigfoot sightings in the area? That's my that, question. <laughs> I didn't see that, but I didn't go down that rabbit hole. Okay, uh, fair enough. <laughs> I did You know, there was not a lot of Bigfoot memorabilia in Seward, so I'm, yeah. I'm thinking... There was not. some in Alaska, though. Yes. Well, I mean, you know, I'm sure they're there, so... <laughs> <laughs> if they're anywhere, yeah, they're in Alaska. True. If, they're, so. if they're anywhere. All right. So our charity for the week it will be linked in the show notes. I chose the Covenant House Alaska, which is an orphanage that's in Anchorage. Because like oh, I said, cool. the Jesse Lee home is not still standing. Yeah. Okay. And as far as I could find, there wasn't any orphanages that were openly taking donations in okay. Seward. So okay. I figured this was the best or the closest thing we could do. Oh, that's awesome. And they, like I said, Seward has a really long history of celebrating these kids, especially from the orphanage in any way we can give back to them would be awesome. Yeah, that's cool. And for anyone that might be listening for the first time when we're referencing our our charity or our organization from a story, that is how we want to sort of remember and pay it forward with the trips we've taken and the stories we're telling. And so what we've done is we have set up a Patreon, which is essentially a fan club, so to speak. And uh, you can be a Patreon of the Viva America podcast. And what we're doing is every month our Patreons will get to, they will get to vote on one of the charities that we highlighted that month and we'll give 25% of the funds from our Patreon that month to that charity. So it's a way for you to just be involved with the stories. If you hear about an organization that you think is really cool or reminds you of an adventure you want to go on or a story you want to tell or someone in your life, it's just a way to kind of be involved and be a part of our stories as well. So, so that's what that's about. Yeah. And if you like the story from Mount Marathon today, or uh, any frame from the Jesse Lee home and everything, this would be a great charity to donate to. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, so maybe one day we'll catch an update. In that case, I sure hope so, because I, I I've always been I I like the, I like all the true crime stuff and everything, and it's the fact that there's a story that just has nothing. 
yeah. on a such highly populated event. Yeah. It's I I hope one day. I hope that they find something. something. Yeah. Well, and even like I I think it's interesting that although we heard about Mount Marathon and we heard about Ephraim and the race and the barbet and all that, we didn't hear about this part of the story when we nope. were there. And even that in and of itself is interesting, although maybe that, you know, they don't like yeah, that part it, of the it's story. A, it's so. probably a little ghost story in the yeah. town. Cuz I mean, there's there's not a single trip. I can't emphasize it enough. There's just nothing. There's, just There's nothing. nothing. It's, it's, it's hard to understand how that can like possibly happen. Like yeah. how it's harder to understand that there's no trace than if there had been, you know, shoe marks or a yeah. trail of blood or is that? No. I mean, I guess it was raining nothing. is the other thing. That's fair. Well, and it's kind of like always raining there. So yeah. I, don't, I wonder how I don't searches know. go in general. But well, yeah, I just feel I feel horrible for his yeah. family, obviously, and the yeah. town. And you said they're from Anchorage, right? So yeah. like, okay, close. Yeah. Wow. Well, okay. But I, I also want to say don't let that overshadow the reputation of Mount Marathon. They're still doing the races. They've added a bunch of safety precautions. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, stuff like that is is super unique. I just events like that that only exist in one place and being able to go yeah. do that. And and you know, even Alaska as a whole was is so far away from home. I mean, literally from Florida to Alaska is about yeah. as far as you can get in the United yeah. States. We, we well, I don't know about looks. Hawaii. Maybe Hawaii's farther. Anywho, um, yeah, it's a very different place. And um, Seward was a very unique little small town that was fun to visit. Although, like, I had a complaint, a major complaint about that town. You might share it with me. What's that? What did you not like about that town? The weather? No, that none of the freaking restaurants were open. <laughs> oh yeah, all right. <laughs> we yeah, we did have a we had a family dilemma. I forgot about that. More than once. Okay, so I guess in a small town like that, like restaurants aren't just open all the time because there's not enough people to eat in them, right? I guess. Who's working? Uh, yeah, and so. We attempted to eat, I think, two meals in town when we got there and before we were leaving. And both times, I think we had to stop at five or six different restaurants before we found one that was serving. It was was a train wreck. Yeah, It it was was... like an actual train wreck. And don't trust, you know, the Google search that says, like, oh, it's open or the Yelps or anything like that as far as hours. I mean, you can trust them as far as, like, reviews and stuff. But if it says it's open, don't just, like, believe it's open. So that would be my word of warning to anyone going to Seward is be prepared to like figure out food. And if you find a place that's open, just stop, just eat there. Like don't even, (laughs) whatever they have is fine. It doesn't matter. Like just eat there because I would say we all got hangry. Would you agree? Oh, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But it's okay. We got food. We were fine, and we got to see a lot of cool stuff. So yeah. Well, if the if the Seward Restaurant Department doesn't come for us <laughs> or any of that, um, yeah, I think that's it then. Awesome. That was a really good story, and like just fascinating that so much happened on that mountain. That like even though we were there, and they did mention like, oh, that's yeah. the marathon. It was so kind of inconspicuous too. Like, yeah, we it didn't seems like the whole foundation that. of their town, yeah, like, or the, a lot of the culture, not the town itself. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, 
uh, it's definitely the biggest event that goes yeah. on there every year, and it's super unique. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. Maybe I will try to do that one day. That'd okay. Be cool. Okay. Well, I'll go cheer you on. I will not run it with you. That's yeah. for sure. What? <laughs> <laughs> not for me. Yeah, it's all right. I'll see. I don't even know if I can do that. But... Yeah, you'd have to train like Ephraim. Yeah. All right. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Cameron. That was a great story. And hopefully everyone will come back next week. I'll be telling a story, which is actually how this will work, or at least that's our intention, is to alternate back and forth where I tell a story and then Cameron tells a story. And a reminder that like some of them will be really horrifying some of them will just be weird and some we'll try of them, to spread them out we'll spread hey. them out a little some will just be great like stories that we should all know and we, we don't know so hopefully that'll be a good mix a good balance for everybody so, but good story today cam awesome all right love you love you too bye